This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. It's Monday. That means the big Monday show. We have on the line Mr. Barry Spears. Barry, how are you? Good. You know, it's Monday. Big Monday, nevertheless. But uh, it was a pretty good weekend. And uh, I'm ready to, to go at it again this week. So we'll see where we end up at, on Friday at the Meadowlands. <laughs> yeah, this, week, this weekend's Meadowlands wasn't very successful. We had the clown show drivers on Friday, but the regular guys back on Saturday. I still wasn't able to do very much. <laughs> I, I texted you today about the the Red Mile. It was like the chalkiest of chalk fests on the Monday afternoon Grand Circuit. <laughs> oh man, the first seven the first seven races, the largest winner was four dollars and eighty cents. Unbelievable. <laughs> they were lucky they didn't have like an early pick three or early pick four because it would have paid. I think the first pick three paid uh, two seventy for a dollar, which is not good. No, oh, that hurts my feelings like very badly. <laughs> you had to pick three winners and you make a dollar seventy for every dollar, <laughs> and you gotta you gotta win three of them. I mean, I know they're chalk and they're favorites, but still, you got to win three races. I mean, they should just at least give you 20. Uh, I did see, uh, speaking of the Meadowlands, uh, if we're going to talk about it, <laughs> we might as well talk about it. They finally got rid of the consolation in the early 20 cent oh, pick did. five. No more consoles. Oh, so man. we're not going to see any more 79 cent uh, hits <laughs> when you have four out of five. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I mean, because of the twenty cent bet. If it was a dollar, you yeah. know, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. Those those seventy nine cent consoles would be uh, four dollars. Eight bucks. Yeah. Right. But but you know what are you gonna do? But uh, it's it's funny. It's interesting because it, it's a topic, like. I I know like people probably think I'm I'm he's paying me, but like what Gabe Pruitt did at. Pompano and and then has done at Sciota, where he, I, I read an interview he did the other day and you know kind of talked about a, with him briefly a couple times over the years not like recently but how how positioning is so important and it, meaning like not having your races run up against um, bigger signals and and um, you know, racing would be so much better off, any type of racing, for the product, the betting product, if the tracks would push off of the other signals instead of running over the top of them. And I understand the big signals want to run over the top of them because to them it's it's a it's a marketing strategy almost in that they get their, their shows are on TV, they're on TVG, they get the, the first call on TVG, they're... Naira, um, Churchill have the the NBC and the Fox Sports shows. So 
they think everyone else should work off of them, and they might not be wrong. But um, there's so much we could do, I think, and I think Gabe has kind of proven that at, at Sayota, and he was working with, uh, you know, the, the management and who, who gave him a lot of latitude, and with the racing office who put together some good races. And yes, they were kind of fortunate in that they were the first harness track to start back up, so there was a lot of, um, uh, they had a big pool of horses to draw from, and I mean, the product there has gotten better in Sciota, and, and I'm sure people are like, what the hell is Sciota? But, you know, the they've used the um, the slots money to, to increase the quality of the racing, and, it, and it's kind of worked, and, and I mean, their handle w- went, uh, it went up like 300%, it was crazy. And it's the yeah, same track, the same number. drivers, mo- mostly the same, you know, horsemen. But uh, it just goes to show you how there's things that we can control in racing, not you and me per se, but racing executives and racing people. We can control. We don't need the federal government. We don't need state government. We don't need laws or acts or, you know, we can just do it better. And I think that's something that's so important that, that we start to concentrate on because, you know, you see the bad news. Now we have all these states in this rush to pass whip rules. And whip rules are oh, stupid. Boy. They're stupid, they're ignorant, and it's part of life because we live in a society of stupid, ignorant people. And, I mean, there's no, and, and I don't like to be political at all. And, uh, you know, it was sad to, to hear about the passing of, um, you know, the old lady judge there. But the fact of the matter is, that that the 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 polit- I was thinking about this this morning when um, I, I had the TV on and on the news and they were playing um, clips of various politicians and a few years ago one side was saying one thing and the other side was saying the other thing and now the roles are reversed and everybody's flip flopped and I thought it was a perfect analogy to think if you jerks think the politicians give a shit about you or me or if anything they say isn't bullshit this is the perfect example of why it is it's all bullshit that they don't care about the process or the the the, the law it's all about power about staying in control and about politics period and if 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 the role if the, the shoe was on the other foot which it was the, the people would be saying the opposite. And, and, and so many people are, 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 are stupid enough to believe this nonsense that you get spewed all the time, this ideology crap. And, and it, it happens in racing with this, this nonsense with the whips. Changing whip rules isn't going to make hen anything better for this sport. It might no, make it's guys who make go... it's better PR for, for, for some people. For Not bullshit, everyone, though. And that's the thing. It's, it's for bullshit. How long right. can you say... Oh, we don't have whips. 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 You can only right. say it one it time. Once. One time. And right. there's nobody and, and that bets horses. Nobody. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have rules and the rules should be strong rules. And I, I, I mean, I, I cursed at a jockey one time after a race, and I wasn't even in the race for beating up a horse that was 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 backing up. And the guy looked at me like I'm crazy, and I said. How would you like it if I did that to you? How about so? Well, let me smack you about nine fucking times, and let me see how you like it. And right. and you know the guy looked at me like I was a maniac, but it just pissed me off because it was unnecessary. But the thing is, this is that 
the way that they go, everything goes too far. And now I read these quotes from these people on the New York State Racing Commission, none of who, who, whom I know who, who they are. And, you know, they're making all these statements. And then they say, well, we did a, a, we did a study, but we're not going to release the, 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 um, publicly the, the results of it. And I'm thinking to myself. Then why have the damn study the, in the, the first place? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing is so many things that are, we're getting jammed down our throat aren't going to help horse racing. They're not. They're just not. And it's like if you wash your car, it's not going to make the transmission work better. That's what we're doing. We're washing the car. We're That's trying to pretty analogy. it up from the outside. And we're saying, oh, there's no Lasix. No Lasix is going to be horrible for owners and trainers and betters. It's not good for anyone except the people who go to cocktail parties who, are, who don't give a shit about the rest of us. They only care about stakes horses and, and million-dollar yearlings. Like the Keelan sale for them is over. It's over. We're in book four now. Oh, by the yes. way, you know, speaking of, uh, and, and listen, I hate to be, I hate to be like the, the purveyor of doom all the time, but I mean, how much more bad can happen before people start to realize that we have got major cracks in the foundation of this sport? The Keeneland sale is down 35%. The Keeneland, the, That's a lot. The Keeneland sale, a, along with the Fazek Tipton sale, which uh, I, I believe would be considered uh, the first, you know, the, the eight days, the, the two days of Fazek and the six days of, of the beginning of the Keeneland sale, we're down 35%. It's a significant amount of money. And uh, I read in the Blood Horse, um, oh God, I forget the guy's name. I, I hate, I, I, I give credit to the guy, but I can't think of his name. Um, but I think Frank Mitchell, and and he said, you know, if, if you take the results the way they've gone and and um, run the rest of the sale out at the same percentage, then at the end of this sale, um, between the two biggest yearling sales we have, they're going to be down down like one hundred thirty five million dollars in gross proceeds. That's one hundred thirty five million dollars. That's $135 million that, that didn't find their way to farms, to, um, n you know, not just to the stallion owners or the, even the breeders, uh, to all the people that they employ and all the, the companies that they employ and the feed uh, people and the, the hay farmers and all that. that that's a, a significant amount of money. But the, the thing that, that, that really stands out to me is you hardly hear about it. No, and, and it's it's like... <laughs> Rome is burning, and what are we doing? We're making it more difficult to get involved in, in own horses. And we talked about it, or I talked about it last week on, on the podcast, the Tuesday podcast, which was essentially just a rant. But this, there's no better time if you wanted to buy a horse. If you, were, if you had some disposable income and you wanted to get in, you know, the numbers are down. And it's it's there's a lot of good horses out there who maybe don't have... Um, grade one pedigree and aren't going to be fancy enough for the big shots, but that are nice horses that um, you're not going to have uh, ten people trying to trying to buy them. You might be the only person that happened to me with uh, Divine Park. I was essentially the only person to bid on the horse. His reserve was nineteen. I got him for twenty, 
and there was no other bids. I mean, the people were very open about what the reserve was going to be, so th there was no other, there was no one else on the horse. And that can happen now. I mean, if you look, you want to buy a, a yearling, a prospect, this is a great time. And, and the OBS sale, which is in, I think, October 13th, something October, like that, yeah. That that's going to be the same thing. might be worse because you don't have the pedigrees uh, that you have in the Keeneland sale. Even, even going into deeper into these books, at Keeneland, you're going to find you know, well-pedigreed horses. They're just going to be horses with flaws. They're going to have physical issues and you know the the books are, are of course they're weighted top heavy so the book one is the best prospects book two is the second best and this is again on paper and in the physicals but um you know you got about 50 percent of the horses not changing hands and you have about 35 percent um the sales off um uh, monetarily so it, it's a huge thing and and all these people and all these breeders that were jumping up and down yeah let's get rid of Lasix. yeah guess what your customers are getting penalized with Lasix. And this nonsense that I, I read, I, sometimes I, I just wonder how, how stupid they think we are. And I guess we are stupid. I, I Seriously, I think we are stupid because they keep saying it. But, you know, this idea that there's going to be this study done uh, on Lasix by this new build and they're going to put money and they're going to do a study. And Let me just, why just bother? They can just send me a check and I'll tell them what, they would, what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, we don't feel like it's really necessary and blah, 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 blah. Again, it's going to probably be a secret, you know, thing, and I'll just trust us. And I'm telling you, yeah. I, Barry, I think that uh, I remember when I was a little kid, and I can't remember what class I was taking, but... I was in high school, and maybe even middle school, and I remember the teacher saying something about um, one of the keys to financial success is compounded interest. Oh, yeah. And that that's how you... Well, that works in reverse as well. It, it does. And that's what we're going to get, because this new bill, it's going to be expensive. And I tell people... You're not gonna see any changes. I uh, did when they get rid of late. Um, when I get rid of uh, steroids, effectively we could give steroids. Before they were banned, we could give steroids any time we wanted. There was no rules. Literally no rules. You could give it to them the the day before the race, two days before the race. It wouldn't be that effective that close. It takes a little time to actually work, but you could give it any time. And we went from that to none to to. to Six months or five months where you you had to be withdrawn off them, and yes, some guys pushed the envelope and blah blah blah. People always want to bring up the the you know the one out of a hundred case, but but we effectively went from anabolic steroids being able to use at any time in the sales and in on the racetrack to not being able to use them. And guess what, people tangibly saw at the racetrack when they were banned slower horses <laughs> no, they saw nothing nothing really changed nothing tangibly changed. Yeah. now it was tougher it was tougher for um to when you had a filly uh, that was a little thin that, that was a tough eater when you had a gelding that, that you couldn't keep weight on the anabolics were helpful for that 
And once you took that away, um, no, he, he, he took it away. And I understand it. Like, I wasn't against getting rid of steroids because so many guys uh, didn't use them properly. No, um, you know, so I, I wasn't against it. I was okay with that. But what I kept telling people, you're not going to see a big difference. The same guys are going to win. The same guys are going to lose. It's just one little tool. There's, it's not like there's, there's 12 guys out there using them and everyone else isn't using them, which would give someone a huge advantage. And that was the, that's the thing about Lasix, in that Lasix is available to everyone. And it's, it's cheap, and it's, it works, and it's not perfect. But it, it was one of the things that we have in this sport that was fairest in that Right. Chad Brown and, and Todd Pletcher's LASIX was the same as, 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 as Chuck Simon's LASIX. Right, and I think that's the key because, you know, you see these things, especially on Twitter. I know we bring up Twitter quite a bit, but um, you see things like, you know, a guy starts winning, you know, and automatically, oh, they're, they're putting something, in, you know, in their horses or, you know, they're, not, they're cheating, they're doing this, they're doing that. And that's not always the case. Like you said, Everybody has a, a set of tools available to them. Some overreach and, and do things that they're not supposed to. But Lasix is one of those tools that everybody has. Um, so there's no advantage either way. And I think a, a lot of that point gets missed by the collective, especially the betters, because they're all bitter and they, they get all riled up uh, when someone wins and they don't have them. So they, you know, the first thing that the betters do now that they have a voice and a platform on Twitter, they'll talk about how somebody's cheating, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, you know, uh, of course they'll get it right. You know, in the case of Service and Navarro. Well, you know what? I think honestly, everybody had that right. I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, someone had made a statement about the kid Noda in New York, mm-hmm. who, who I don't know, and I, I don't know. I don't pay that much attention to New York, I, I don't study the form as much, I'll, I'll glance through it, I'll watch some of the races, but I don't really pay enough attention to make, um, you know, to, to form an opinion of, sure. which would be based upon, you know, circumstantial evidence. I'm not there, I don't see his horses, I don't see, there was a trainer that kind of started to do good a couple years ago, and he was a wintertime guy here, and I'm not going to say his name, um, but his horses would pass by my barn, and it looked like uh, they came out of Gold's gym, <laughs> you know, and the guy kind of, he kind of like got real good real quick, you know, and then he's kind of like tailed off there in the last couple of years. It, it, it's kind of like changed, but you know, the, you always have your suspicions about people. And like I said, I, I don't know if that kid's doing something wrong or not. I really don't know. I know he's it's rubbed. Tough to tell. I, I know he's rubbed a lot of people. He's rubbed a lot of people wrong because he. I guess they they act like, uh, you know, like maniacs when they win, which is you know their prerogative. I mean, listen, when the Sarge did it, everybody thought it was cool, but but everybody liked the Sarge, and the Sarge didn't win so much. Because, <laughs> so trust me. Noticed a lot. You yeah. know, every once in a while, he'd pop up with a winner and and do his uh, salute. Yeah, and but it was great. Right. <laughs> if if he beats you, if he starts winning two or three a day and doing that, that gets old real quick. But the point I was making was someone came on Twitter and they they blanket defended the guy. And as far as I know, they don't have any, I, I don't know that they have any 
inside information if they uh, you know like the I don't know if they're connected but one of his reasonings was well you know I don't believe a guy would would try something in the year of you know service in the FBI and I, and I said I, I made the That's quote probably the best time to do it. I, I said I made that quote was that I, I don't think I'd be hanging my hat on on that because the FBI uh, arrests a lot of people in a lot of different businesses and they don't come in and, and do a clean sweep, and then that business becomes, um, you know, not corrupt forever, <laughs> like politics, <laughs> you know. But it, it's 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 kind of a leap of faith to, to, to use reasoning like that. You might say, listen, I know this guy. That I, I've seen his barn. I have horses there. I, I see how they do this, they do that. But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> trust me, I've worked as hard as anybody in this game. There's been times when I work. I work for Tom Skiffington. I was literally like the New York State Racing and Labor the, the board. They would have fined Tom Skiffington twelve trillion dollars for the amount of work that he used to make us do. He made us. He called me in one time, and I love Tommy, and 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 he is a horseman's horseman. And the guy was a, a really top horseman. And if he decided to get back into the game today, he'd probably want to shoot himself after like a week. But he could get jump right back in and train because he just he was he knew horses he understood them, and he he just was a, a, a smart guy and he, he honestly was on the turf trend before everybody else. He was Chris Clement before Chris Clement was in the United States. Chris Clement was in the you know Paris High when when Skiffington was was running one two three and, and turf stakes. Um, he he ran one two three. He said the only guy for he trained for Mrs. Payson. And they ran one, two, three. I think in the Bougainvillea, um, at Hialeah, and she fired him because the wrong horse won. And he said something to the effect, "Well, what was I supposed to do? Run out the eighth pole and like direct traffic? No, no, no. You hold on." <laughs> and uh, I guess a couple days later, the horse is left. But, but my point is that um, you, you you're not going to work harder than me and beat me unless you have better horses than me. You know what I'm saying? There's good trainers, there's bad trainers. We know back here, we know who the good, really sharp guys are. And there's a lot of really sharp guys that don't have that many horses. Because maybe they don't have um, the social skills. Maybe they don't want a, a, a barn of 100. Maybe um, there, there's any number of reasons why. And there's guys who aren't any good. and Because it's, it's like anything else. But the idea that you're going to work harder than this guy... We're at the same track, we're in the same facilities, we have the same feed companies, we're feeding close to the same feed, same hay, um, we're using the same vets, and yeah, like when I worked for Allen Jerkins, we worked harder than most barns did. We put horses in ice two or three times a day. Nobody else was doing that. We did a, we, we would gallop horses in the afternoon, nobody was doing that. We worked hard. His moda. Uh, or motto, excuse me, his mode of operation was, I don't have as good, and I can't tell you how many times he said it. He goes, if you guys want to win, if you want to beat Shug, if you want to beat Mott, we got to outwork them. They got better horses than we do. They're great trainers. How are we going to win if we just do the same things that, that they do? And we did it. Like, But the fact is that the rules have changed so much nowadays that... If you tried to gallop horses in the afternoon in, in your barn, 
the, the, they'd be over there chasing you away. They wouldn't let you do it. Uh, you know, there, there's just... Uh, I remember... <laughs> we had Kelly Kip coming off a layoff. He was... It, I think it was his, his four-year-old year. And... He wanted... He was running him six and a half at Saratoga. And... He wanted to take the edge off of him. So he tells me... And we're, and we're over by Claire Court. I know you don't know what this is, but... Uh, Claire Court's a little, a little tiny, like track. It's. Oh, I know where it is. Yeah, it, it, know, it, 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 it might be like, I don't know, three sixteenths of a mile long. It's not very long, and it, it's very narrow, and it's essentially like a jogging track. You know, you don't, you don't do very much there. So he tells me we're in like the fourth race that day. So Jerkins tells me he goes Chuck. I want you to put the put the tack on the horse, put polos on, bring him over there, get Dougie, Dougie Portillo, who was uh, one of our Gallup boys, and, and go around there like three times. Just get the edge off him. And Kelly Kip was a stone runoff. I was going to say, that so horse is just I said to him, ultra fast. I said to him, uh, you know, what do you want to do? He goes, well, get someone, get so-and-so with the pony. I said, you know, he, he'll race the pony. I said, there's not much room. I said, I, I can just see this being bad. Well, just have him go out there and jog a little bit. So okay. So we get him over there. We go over there. Now, remember, this is during the races at Saratoga. So there's cars everywhere and this and that. Here we go. We're walking up towards the track to go to Clear Court from the back. We, his barn was in the back over where um, the green tree stable was so we're walking up and me and the hot walker and and uh kelly kip and and, and doug um <laughs> and we get out there and we uh had the hot walker go to the other gap because there's two gaps there to, to walk across to make sure nobody walked out in front of them you know and get run over so we got all our bases covered dougie goes around there twice right the second time he he literally went like 22 and 3 and he oh had he had like the look of terror on his face. I mean, he was like white as a ghost. Like I could see. I was like, "You better pull him up because he goes another one. This horse is gonna go three quarters and 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 ten before the race, going you know around in circles." So he gets him pulled up right, and he he turns around, and I'm I'm breathing like a sigh of relief now because this was like the most nervous thing that we uh, that I had done in a long time, <laughs> and. I turn around and there's the Pinkertons. There's like four of them, and they're like, "Yeah, exactly." What the hell are you guys doing? You can't train in the afternoon. I said, "Well, it's not really training." Well, what do you call this? Well, horse is going up to run. You guys are nuts, you know. But <laughs> what if somebody had had come on the track? We we. I said I sent somebody over on the other side. I said just leave me alone for now. If you want to come and yell at me, I'll be back in like an hour. Yell at me then. But uh, I gotta I gotta go get this horse ready to run. So, um. So we went back to the barn, we hosed them off, and uh, we took the polos off, we went up, and not only did he win, he set the track record uh, for six and a half furlongs, which is which has since been broken, and then uh, later on, the um, chief said, well, what was all the deal with the Pinkertons? I said the next. I said they told me the next time you, you, you gallop a horse on the, in the afternoon, they're going to find us 500 bucks. And he's like, ah, it's worth it. <laughs> uh, that was a great story. But nowadays, you know what they would do? They they would like 
they they would have probably driven on the track and like arrested everybody you know you know called a, a, a an immediate uh, commission meeting and we would have all been cruel and how can you possibly do that and blah 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 but I'm a little skeptical about the outworking everybody because I, I've been there and, and I worked for guys that were like the best of the best of the best. And we literally did outwork people. But I don't know that these guys even know how to do that. So, uh, you know, the out training, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, like I said, there's tricks of knowing your horse, of not doing too much, of doing um, more than you should. Uh, there's just of course every horse is different and some horses need more training some horses need less training some horses um, would benefit from uh, a blowout right before a race I mean Shug used to blow his horses out three-eighths of a mile all the time the day before all the time but they don't do it anymore because the horses are different and anybody who tells you that the horses are as sturdy as they used to be it's just nuts it's just not true Trust me, trainers have have adapted to the horses, not vice versa. A breed doesn't adopt adapt to various trainers. It's it's just right. that's that's ludicrous. Um, but uh, I I just think that there's probably not nearly as many guys quote unquote cheating as people think. But I, I was also thinking about this, and I don't really know what it even is anymore. Like I I'm not really sure what the rules are. And, uh, and nobody does it. It doesn't sound like. And when they just say, well, you can't do anything, that's really not good for the horses. And I'm not talking about, like, PDs and giving a horse EPO or something like that. Or I, I just saw a, a, a trotting guy at Yonkers got 20 years for giving some horse something I never heard of, but um, some kind of, uh, you know, blood doping thing. And you know what? If, if, if that's the case, then there, there's no, you know, it is what it is, you know, like, if that, that's not a mistake, that's not something that's going to quote-unquote help the horse, it's not therapeutic, it's, that's cheating, but there's so many other things now that, that it's just the lines have been blurred so much, and they take so much away, and now they're even taking, I mean, uh, we, we used to have turndowns, we used to be able to use mud caulks, we used to be able to use uh, turnout stickers on, th- th- these are all types of shoes, yeah, shoes yeah. none of which we can use anymore. Um, you have a day like today where the track, all right, like Palmetto's or Gulfstream, both tracks, it was pouring last night. I mean, pouring, pouring. It was pouring all morning. It was pouring all afternoon. If there was racing, it would have been sloppy. And mud caulks or stickers helped horses get over those tracks. And now we're not allowed to use them. And you see more horses with suspensory issues than, than they ever did. And I'm sure somebody out there will say, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. that's not true. That's not a... All I know is what I know. All I know is what I see. All I know is the thousands of horses that I've worked around, worked on, and the veterinarians that I've talked to about the issues and the blacksmiths. And, I mean, these are the best of the best and the trainers. And you talk to the people about so many of these things. And Dr. Cheney, who's a great vet from Kentucky... Um, he, he, he just smirks all the time when he says, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. And then some guy in some, um, some, uh, university 
does a study on 12 horses, and he tells me that everything that I've seen with my own very eyes over the last 40 years is wrong. And he goes, that makes, you know, it makes me question the other things that I hear them saying because when they're telling me that something that I know is true, they're telling me, well, it might not be true based upon uh, a study of 12 or 15 horses on a treadmill when I've been in there, you know, here seeing the actual cause and effect of, of what, what's happened. He goes, it makes me wonder what, what the actual agenda is sometimes and a lot of the agenda is to be politically correct and and that, well, that's that's why that's we have kinda, whip rules that, that's kind of what what confuses me a lot because again like yourself and a whole lot of other trainers are, are actually doing the work why would they not go to that resource first because they instead of you know i mean i know they wanted to look good and and this that and the other but it's one of those situations where you have a boss. Let's say you have a boss that's um, just making decisions that's going to affect the people down at the bottom that are actually doing all the work with no idea how they do it and just want to make a decision. And that's what it feels like. And, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. You, you know what? You know what they say about lawyers? That happens. Lawyers are never supposed to ask a question they don't already know the answer to. Know the answer to, yeah. That's the thing, and they know what our answer is going to be, and that's not the, that's not. There is a. Well, whose interest is it in? That that's really where I, I'm at. Is I don't really understand why. What's it helping? Well, Who the is thing is this about you know when you think about racing as a whole, racing is not racing. There is no racing. The NBA is the NBA. The NBA is 30 teams owned by 30 different billionaires, but they're all grouped together. And what's good for one is good for everyone. And they work together. They share the revenues. They, they, they understand that, that even the lowest team, even the Sacramento Kings are needed, that we need that team to be in the league, that we can't just have five or six teams and, 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 and that's it and because people will get tired of watching those five or six teams, and you'd have so much of the country that's not served. They wouldn't be able to watch live, of course, you know, not like now, but you know what I'm talking about. They wouldn't have access to the to the games, and everything would be on TV, and you would lose a lot. And they, In this sport, the people that have the power don't care about races on Wednesday or Thursday or Monday or Tuesday. They don't care about those races unless it's their own horse. They don't care. They would rather see them go away. They would like to see them go away. And people don't believe it, but it's true. And like we talked about earlier, the reckoning is going to come. If we don't get more owners in this business and it continues to shrink, all those 140, 150 um, mare books for those stallions... How, how are they going to support them? With the sales down this year, with you, you start uh, in today's Blood Horse, uh, the daily edition, they had, uh, and they do it during the sale, is they'll put like a tally for um, all the stallions, kind of like a, a scorecard of how many horses that they had cataloged, how many actually went through the ring, how many were sold what the average was, and then they'll put the stud fee for when the horse in the ring was conceit, you know, was bred, 
and now what the stud fee is now. And I was going through that today, and if you pay $100,000 for a stud fee, and the, the, the horse's foals are averaging $200,000, you're not making much money. You know what I mean? You're not making much money because when you consider of the five, of the 200, you have to pay the consigner, you've got to pay the uh, the sale company. So so whack 10% off that. So that 200,000 is 180. Now think about all the expenses. Now if you if you bred um and you bred on a $100,000 live foal, you probably bought insurance on that live fold so that that uh, another cost right um, you probably have a mare that's insured if you're spending that kind of money right so then there's another expense and th- we haven't paid one penny for for an oat or for any vet work or any of the other stuff uh, board you're probably not boarding at, at, a, at a place that charges $15 a day you're probably boarding in central Kentucky I think it's it's forty fifty dollars a day so those expenses so yeah you maybe you'll make a little money but if you if you get back a hundred and fifty thousand and it costs you a hundred for the stud fee well that's not a very good odds and that's the that's the average so the average it's not the median but there's still going to be a whole lot of horses selling for underneath that two hundred thousand so you know you get to the point where Right now, stud fees are, are too expensive. And, and the truth of the matter is, outside the top, top stallions, hardly anybody's paying the actual listed fee for, for the lower-end stallions. But um, there's always seems like there's seasons available or, you know, you'll, you'll get a two-for-one deal or something. You know, there's always some, there's lots of yeah. deals made. But So could this point in time, you know, kind of be like a market correction in that regard or no i don't think it's a market correction i think it's a market it's it's a a a fallout yeah i I don't see it bouncing back because the odd thing is that the the market for selling of baby racehorses isn't all that connected to the actual racing in that if handle goes up um it's not like the the sales should go up. Hey, the sales are up when the stock market's up, and the sales are down when the stock market's down stock because market's it's down, right. it's kind of Those a disposable it's kind of a disposable income thing. Um, right. So there's definitely a correlation between that and the stock market is is still really really high. And I'm not an economist by any means, but it still seems really high for a country that's been in. Uh, a, you know, COVID lockdown for six for, months. For seven months. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have 20, 30, 40, whatever, how many millions of people out of work. And, I mean, there's still a lot of question marks. We're, we're coming up on a, on a very divisive election, and there's a lot of stormy things that are going on, and yet the stock market just keeps chugging along. And, and like I said, the stock market is still in pretty good shape. So when the, the sales are down 35%, um, you just have to worry. And... Like you know, you had talked about me. You know, you and I had talked about today about uh, uh, handle numbers and how some oh, of the yeah. handle numbers are kind of being a little bit misreported. And Okrunk is the only only handle numbers that I believe anymore because he's 
He's a he's smart. He's unbiased and he's smart. And well, yeah, that, that helps. That, that's a good combination in, in that there's so many other people in the business, um, you know, don't have that combination. And I get it. Sometimes you like to listen. You work for a, a track and this is what they want you to do. Well, this is what you do. Because, you know, you know taking a stand and saying, hey, I'm going to have only 100% pure handle numbers that we're going to release and I'm willing to go on unemployment for it is probably right. not a great strategy either. But, well, you know, like NBC. I, listen, they're a huge corporation, right? So the derbies, um, the derby ratings were way down. The viewership was way down. And when you read the press release, it says, Kentucky Derby, highest rated sports event since COVID started. Because <laughs> you know? it was the only yeah. one. For a couple months, there was no sports. We were watching horse <laughs> <laughs> and, and Korean baseball and, and like you know anything like Foner Park, so it, it was just yeah they're gonna um, they're gonna spin it because that's what you know that that's what PR does they spin and and um, and it was it was they're doing the same thing with with the ratings for everything but tennis's ratings were down fifty percent horse racing's ratings were down you know for the big events fifty percent so it's just a weird kind of dynamic but we so want a business as usual in this sport we so want to do it that sometimes I think it's like you believe your own bullshit you know you you start to think if I if I say it enough oh you're everything's fine everything's fine everything's fine you start to think everything's fine but everything's not fine everything's really not fine well you know that's funny you say that because I, I saw something earlier today that was talking about um, Run Happy and his highest priced yearlings um, none of them have, have run a lot of them, uh, haven't, wor- lot of them had, haven't even worked right, two had published works two published works and only one winner and he he's deceased at this point so he, he's passed away so it's like, you know where, where is the optimism here? And you see, you know, obviously run happy everything. You know, the, like, the funny thing about you know, the run happy stuff is that it's the stupidest marketing program that there is. It's, it's just a blank. Because your mark is, but it's not about, people don't understand, it's just Mac taking a freaking victory lap. Look at me, it. look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. That's him. That's how he made his fortune. But it doesn't work in horse racing like that because you can't lower the price on mattresses enough where you can, you know, you lower price on mattresses enough, you'll sell them all. There's going to be a price where you're going to sell and you're going to vol- hit the volume and, and, you know, you're not going to... Horses are different than that. Yeah. Horses are different. And, and you're marketing to everyone. But how many people actually are, are buy horses, buy horses or or breed horses? What's the how many people? I mean, with the new uh, limits to a stallion, it's going to be in the hundred and forty mare. Um, and, and believe me, if he doesn't do better, he ain't going to get a hundred forty mares. But um, you know, you're talking a hundred and there, there are a couple hundred people that breed seriously. Um, and yeah, there's a little bit of a, a bigger market um, for sales babies, but you know, right? Who 
was your target audience? The pe- I, I mean, the people, he's the people, everybody, the people like, you know, like you see the people on Twitter, you know, that are just pure gamblers and pure betters, and and they know who Run Happy is. Not that they ever shouldn't, but Even, at the same time, they're not the people that would be. Uh, buying racehorses. Even the, be betting on them for sure, but not buying. Them. Anybody that buys horses seriously is going to know who the horse was. He won a Breeders' exactly. Cup race. You know? I mean, it's not like he he's going to go under under the radar. And I think a lot of people got sucked in by the stupidness of, oh, he never raced on, he never had any drugs. Well, so I that, think that, that was part of know, the shtick. Right, I exactly. Mean, but know. that's all it is, a shtick, because the, the fact of the matter is, if you broke your arm, Barry, and, and you had to, um, you know, get to take some medication, it wouldn't make Breezy less of a basketball player that dominates her, you know, the boys because of that. It, it has nothing to do with that, you know. It's 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 just such a silly thing that people have accepted as um, as real, and it's just not. It, it's it's taking a, a medication is not going to affect your genetic. Predisposition. It just isn't predisposition. That's why I found it so bizarre that he added that in the commercial. Even kind of threw a jab at, uh, I think, a private zone. Yeah. Also in that commercial. Um, But I mean, you know, given all that and all the blanket marketing, and you know, you got the run happy winner circle on Golden Gate. You know, you got all this stuff, and then you look at the numbers of what the horse is actually doing as far as his yearlings and everything else and it's not very good i mean i guess that's the 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 epitome of what you know the the horse racing pr is it's a lot of spin it's like you were talking about and you know a lot of misdirection when you're like oh well look at this over here when you're not seeing what's going on over there you know this time of the year when run happy was a two-year-old he wasn't even working. He was still probably, I think... Hanging about, out. Yeah, he would just he had just started training back from having... I gave him some time off because of his knees. So I, I had told C. Bick on his show a long time ago that people were going to be very disappointed early with Run Happy Babies. That he was a big horse, and he was he was really fast. I mean, he was wicked fast. But he was not that precocious and I know that sounds weird but he was fast once he got going he wasn't ready to break from the gate his body wasn't there I I put pictures up of him that summer at Monmouth and you look at him then and then you look at him a a year later and it's like night and day oh man so the horse should get better as they get older but if they don't start, <laughs> if they don't start winning this fall, this winter, when people make breeding decisions next year, it's going to be awful hard to to to, to go back to the guy, to the horse that has got one or two. I mean, he's going to have to get a couple winners. People will start dropping them too. That's the other thing; they'll start running them cheaper because, um, you know, you, you can only lose so many times. Before you, you're, especially the bigger outfits, they they keep losing with horses. They they liquidate them. They drop them. They don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they pay two hundred thousand for them. If they need to run from eight thirty. That's where they'll be in. So, I, I don't. You know, I can't. The horse has been pretty miserable, and, and it's not even like he's got a lot of seconds or thirds. I mean, most no, of them don't. Nothing. Most it's... of them don't run at all. But uh, 
But I, I did see that same post as you did that a lot of the high price ones haven't even, you know, the ones that haven't been named, those are the ones I'd worry about. Those are the ones I'd worry about. But, um, you know, some of the ones that haven't worked uh, might just might just be, you know, maybe they take after their father and they just need more time. But, but you know, who knows? But, I, I, I mean, it is tiresome of seeing it. And it's like, I know it's a little bit petty because in the grand scheme, I mean, really, what does it matter if, you know, you see Run Happy 4,000 different times? I mean, if if you watch TVG, you know, you get to watch the same uh, four commercials 12 million times anyways. So it's not really well, that dissimilar. Flex Seal. Well, yeah, but you, you say Flex Seal actually works. It does. See, they it should does. actually have you on there and show, you know. show. could be a testimonial. Yeah, you could be a real-life <laughs> testimonial, not, not a paid actor. Well, I can tell you this. Mm-hmm. My daughter, who's seven, has no idea run happy was as a racehorse but she knows who run happy is on tvg she's she knows every commercial by heart i mean that's partly my doing because whatever room i'm in tvg is not far behind right um but she can she she knows all the words i mean she's heard it a million times and that that probably says a lot about (laughs) what goes on in my household but it also tells you what's going on with the marketing scheme, too. Yeah, and that's the thing, is if he was selling, like, Run Happy... Um, T-shirts or goggles. Jackets or something. Or something. Right, right, right. Something to the masses, but for the most part, it just isn't that important. You know, there's just a very small audience that you're, you're really playing to, and, uh, I mean, the over... The, Honestly, I was thinking about it one day. I was like, I wonder how much they actually have to pay for this. You know, to have a meat named after question. it. Like, I, I, honestly, I have no idea. I don't know if it's 50000 5000 2000 100 I, I have no clue how much it costs to, to do that. But the money has been squandered. And uh, hopefully he just, uh, the bonus, he just, uh, he didn't, he just self-insured that and didn't actually spend money to insure it. But, uh. I mean, no one really got close to winning that, that bonus at any of those tracks. No. I mean, he, his only winner was at Indiana Grand. Yeah, that was... Now it actually looked good, but, you know... Right, he didn't, he didn't look too bad, but... I, I, won't, I won't comment past that, but... Uh, yeah. Um, but it kind of brings up an interesting point with uh, today's announcement of, of Volatile. Right. Who was kind of Volatile. <laughs> Lived up to his name. Being retired. Somewhat, yeah. It was described as a hairline fracture of the cannon bone, which in most cases is not uh, like a career-ending injury, depending on the type of... If it's a spiral fracture, which is a, a fracture that not, doesn't go straight up and down, it kind of twists through the bone, it's a little bit harder um, but usually, with with uh, with those kind of fractures, you can put screws in them and they'll be fine. Lots of horses race with those. Lots of good horses. Lots of stake horses. Um, but uh, I don't know if if it was just a little bit too severe, or they just didn't want to take a chance. I don't really know much about the horse physically, um, or they were just taking advantage of an offer that was put out there and. Um, 
I, I don't know that I'd you know be rushing to retire horses into this current market, but the fact of the matter is that people these days, that horse's book will be full if he's uh, absolutely because he, he's, he's they're they're gonna look at uh, uh what's that horse who's so hot? They're not this time. They're gonna look yes. at um, um, horses like McLean's Music, horses with virtually no careers that showed extreme speed. And they'll breed to them, and um, and it's it is what it is, you know. Like you can't. I always thought it was funny when people say, "Well," and certainly stamina meant more in the racing business, and therefore it probably meant a little bit more in the breeding business years ago. But I, I tell everyone when you tell me that people just breed for speed now and they didn't used to and they just bred for stamina in the past and I say you know Mr. Prospector and Danzig were horses of the 70s and Mr. Prospector was a dead sprinter that uh, I think made like 14 starts lifetime and and back then when some horses had 14 starts a year and Danzig I think ran three times so and they're both you know huge speed influences so i said don't just say that like oh people these days just breed for for speed because that was how the breed started being shifted i remember when i was a kid that there was this thought about mr prospectors that he wouldn't be able to get um horses to go classic distances and kind of like what happened with into mischief a little bit and then they started doing it, and uh, his son started producing horses that could go to classic distances. So it, it wasn't uh, as big as of a deal. I, I think there was, I don't remember the year. It might have been like 2016. Don't quote me on this. But there was a Kentucky Derby where every single horse had a connection in his pedigree to Mr. Prospector. He was in the, the, the was in the the pedigree of every single runner, and I mean breeding is is uh, something that um, it's a difficult topic. Uh, once the sales are over, I'm gonna have Stuart Morris on. Um, number one because I can get him to buy me dinner, and number two, uh, Stuart is not afraid to. Stuart's not afraid to talk. Stuart is like, um, Stuart's got that, uh, the volatile, like, speed as to Stuart's speed of Stuart's jaw, like when he's talking, because he likes, <laughs> but no, but, uh, seriously, all, in all honesty, he's a good guy, he's my friend for a long time, we, we did business together, trained horses for him and his dad, and, and he'll tell, he'll, he'll tell you the truth, I mean, he's not gonna, he's not gonna pull his punches, and, and, um, we'll, we'll get into some, some breeding things with him. Probably on the Tuesday show uh, when the sales are, are kind of winding down. Uh, the after the uh, probably the Kentucky yearling sale, I, I think he sells them there. But uh, but it'll be interesting, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about breeding. I'd love to have Sid on, but you know Sid's like a recluse and and uh, he's, he's like Batman. We'd have to provide like Secret Service protection for him. Right, he's like Batman. He's got he's got all these people you know, that are that gotta are, go to the Batcave. Or he'll just show up one day. That are after him because Sid Sid's great and he I mean, he knows his stuff and he he can explain it well. Um, and that that's sometimes I don't have I, I don't 
explain it as well as those guys can 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 explain it. Um, but breeding is is a little different than what everybody thinks it is, and 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 so many people get caught up in the stallion side, but the mare side is is when I was buying horses, and we were doing pretty good picking out horses, and and we never had a big budget. I mean. Um, I bought some good horses for a guy named James Barry. Uh, he gave, he's the only guy that ever really gave me a, a, a legit budget to buy yearlings. And we did really good for him. We bought him grade one winner. We got a grade three winner. We got a, uh, another grade, graded three plate horse. And that was only two crops. We only bought two crops for him. But, uh, and I'm talking crops, I'm talking four or five horses. But, um, the mare side was what I always concentrated on and because I, I couldn't buy expensive stallions. I didn't have the money to spend it. We Our budget, the people I bought for were, weren't horses that, or weren't people that could whack out 100, 150 or more. And it's funny because you spend 150 on a book one, book two, you that yearling, and you're on the, uh, you're in the bottom end. I, I bought um, a, a filly for James Berry. It, first day, of it was hip number 93. So it was early in the first book of Fazig, of Keeneland, excuse me, um, and she was a first crop filly that had a little bit of a light pedigree that I really liked. And I looked at her because of her dam and because the fact that the dam didn't have a whole lot going for her compared to most book one horses who are usually of graded stakes winning winners all over the place. They, they either were graded stake winners or they have all kinds of, uh, you know, producers, and she really didn't have much going on, so that attracted me to her, I said, well, let me go look at this horse, because they thought enough to put her in this book, she must be real, this horse must be really good, and uh, Rock of Gibraltar, she was the first crop of Rock of Gibraltar, who only stood for like 30,000, 25,000, so I liked her a lot, and uh, I remember I, I asked Stuart, I said, go look at this horse and tell me I'm not crazy, because I, I kind of like her, you know, he went over and he, he, he liked it too. And uh, we bought it for 90000 90, When And the average that day was like three hundred and fifty. <laughs> so, you know, even when we were buying horses, for we could stretch our budget that to that much. It was still like we were still zigging when everybody else was zagging. Um, but to me, the pedigree was, the, the damn side was always important. I didn't want to buy mares that had been poor producers like they had one steak horse and, and, and nine non-steak horses well you know the odds are the odds are you're going to get another one that's not going to be a steak horse so I, I like buying out of young mares that hadn't had much of a chance yet and had a little bit of pedigree in the second dam or even the third dam and we weren't expecting to buy stallions you know I, I bought one horse who turned out to be a stallion and that was not like uh you know, we didn't go in there thinking we're buying a stallion. When I paid twenty thousand for him, I figured, hell, we could we could we could run it for maiden fifty and be and feel good about it. And be all right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the damn side is is kind of what I always looked at, and you know, you want a a, a solid pedigree on the damn side, but if you don't have the money, you can't afford fancy, and then you have to look at the physical attributes of the horse, and the stallion part. I mean. There's some stallions that, like, some guys don't want grass horses. Not not as much probably nowadays as, as, as it was, but back 15 years ago, guys didn't want grass horses, some some of them. So if you had um, a horse by a, a theatrical, 
didn't, you know, you wouldn't bother looking for that guy because you'd be like, well, I don't want a theatrical. But um, the the most success I had was for when the buyers just didn't have a lot of um, a lot of rules. They just wanted to find a good horse. It makes it so much easier because it's it's almost like you know in the, in the sports drafts where teams do you draft for need or do you draft the best available player and so many times it's been shown draft the best guy not the guy that fits the you know might fit your scheme the best draft the best guy and then work it out and and that always was my thing was like if you buy sires who were a little bit off kilter but if the horses could run it really didn't matter and when you're spending well, we've had some technical difficulties, and Barry and I had a nice conversation that, for the most part, wasn't <laughs> taped. <laughs> because I can't get Casey to come out late at night and come to Palm Meadows and tape the show with me. But um, but I think we made a lot of good points about you know where we stood on a lot of issues, and and um, I'm not exactly sure what even got cut off, but. Uh, but like I said, and we've said this, until this business gets its act together and figures out how to work together enough to move forward, we're almost in a situation where survival is is going to be the question mark. Not not how how well are we going to thrive? It. it or do well is are we going to survive and there's so many unknowns about the money from slots or alternate sources in so many places like Oaklawn seems to be pretty safe Kentucky seems to be pretty safe but Pennsylvania is decidedly not safe and New Jersey is not safe and Florida we're probably get Gulfstream going to lose the, the 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 slot money we get from the Calder Casino at some point, maybe soon, maybe a little later, but again, it depends on the courts. Um, Monmouth and uh, is going to lose money probably with its budget cuts. Um, hopefully that they can salvage something, but they're probably going to take a haircut. Uh, if casino usage uh, money, if it, if it casino handle is down, of course that's going to affect what we do have um, Hawthorne hasn't got their casino built yet in Chicago, and even when they do get it built, um, there's there's going to be a ton of competition. So and these are all factors that that are going to play into um, the survival of the business, and and it's kind of scary because like I, I Barry I just said to Barry I, I told a friend of mine at dinner the other night I said I'm not sure if I decided to come back to training this spring where I would want to go I don't know uh, Florida has got a lot of issues the issues that I, I was unhappy with when I stopped training still exist here and, and in a lot of ways have been uh, have, have accelerated they've been they're worse now um, and California is really not a non-starter. New York, I, I don't want to deal with the the tremendous expense it costs to train in New York. Um, it's it's tremendous the expense that that you have to go there because the the laws don't really 
mesh well with the sport when you have to take care of an animal it's it's not like you can just fill out a schedule 40 hours a week and you know open the warehouse close the warehouse da 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 so uh, that's not a great option new jersey racing is kind of in flux they don't race very much they might be losing money and you have six months where you got to go somewhere else you uh, like, uh, pennsylvania been there done that delaware's not doing great maryland huh you know the problem with a place like maryland is that um you i don't have any maryland connections really and your turf horses go dormant the whole winter so yep. that that's that's a factor especially if you wind up with a lot of turf horses and if and in the summertime you have to have a lot of tour horse turf horse you want to get raced um like louisiana is not really probably a place for me so you look at the landscape and you say to yourself, where do you think you could go where you felt like racing was still pretty strong, where they had a a year-round program, or they had a program fed into another program? So, okay, I would go, um, if you were in Kentucky and you went to the fairgrounds and then went back to Kentucky, that, that would kind of fit, but... Um, and it's it's kind of frightening when you look and you see big holes in so many of the circuits. Just potential problems, potential issues. Um, it's it's not uh, it's not a, a healthy industry in any in any way, shape, or form. And usually, industries that that have issues like this have summit meetings. Have have everyone get together and say, hey. What can we do as a whole to stem the stop the bleeding a little bit? And yes, it would be very difficult to get everybody on board for much. But even if we could get everybody on board for um, like stake schedules, like not having overlapping stakes so we can get quality races for our best horses that aren't three and four or five horse fields with three to five shots, things like that post times so we can get the post times to not overlap all the time um you know the the little things the little things but uh it's not easy it's 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 not easy to get anybody to do anything it's it's kind of you know depressing and uh super depressing yeah and that's kind of where we at. And I, I think I, I I see these whip rules, like. Oh, that's awful. And even this, New Jersey sets their own rule. California has their own rule. New York's gonna have their own rule. It's like nobody listens to the rhetoric that they they talk about. All right, we got this federal law, and now we're gonna get all the medications on the same page. Blah blah blah. Yet the the commissions can't can't work with each other and say hey listen what kind of you know rules are you going to put in they just work to independently of each other because the people in new jersey don't give a shit about the people in california they don't give a shit about the people in new york but the problem is that the customers now aren't just in new york or new jersey the customer is might not be it might be thousands of miles away from your state and your state might be a portion of their play and when you create different rules than other jurisdictions, then you're doing a disservice to your state and your customers. 
It's not that difficult. And I understand there's rules that New York State has to have 90 days and then they have to have public comment and blah, blah, blah. But you can look and see and, and, and see what the other places are doing, what their rules are before they enact them and, and see, hey, where are, can, can, can we kind of get as, are these rules okay? Is everyone okay with these rules? Bring the people, uh, you know, bring the bring the people who who this affects into the conversation. How you change rules about whips without talking to jockeys, or at least the guild that represents them, just just seems insane. But you know they've changed they've changed medication rules all the time. They never talk to trainers or vets. It's it's just decreed to us. This is what you shall do because. Uh, we said it, and it just hasn't worked out very well. But, I mean, think about the, the if you, you get a different set of rules in New Jersey, New York, and California, and you get one of those cross-country pick fives, so you're, you're, you're operating under, under three different whip rules. Whip yeah, rules. That's, that's something much. the person at home is going to notice because it's a tangible thing it's not like a medication when you watch a race in new york and you watch a race in new jersey you don't know and you never know and it won't tell and you will never be able to see that the rule is butte is a 24-hour drug in new york and new jersey and it's a 48-hour drug in new york it's still everything looks the same but the way jockeys are going to ride is going to be different and Oh, you're you're only allowed to hit. How come this guy didn't hit the horse? And it's not like every fan or every better is going to know every rule at every track. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. Like we can't just assume that every single person's a hardcore guy that's gonna have every rule down. And, and they're gonna watch a guy in New Jersey ride, and they're gonna think, well, this guy didn't try because I just saw a guy in California, and he didn't hit the horse many times, but but he he, he raised his whip like four or five, and then I watched New Jersey, and the guy didn't even whip the horse at all. So unless there's a guy standing right next to him that explains to him the situation, then you have a disgruntled person who thinks he saw something, who thinks his horse got stiffed, and where's that? Where's that racing commission going to be then? And they're going to be. I'm very curious to see how long that that whip will last. I don't know, Barry. Once you get the bureaucrats decreeing something, it's hard to get them to admit that they make mistakes. That's very, sure. very, very, very difficult. Very difficult to, to ever admit that. So, you know, the thing that pisses me off about the whole business is that we let so much go that we didn't get in front of it. And could you imagine the NFL if the government was calling the shots? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, think about it that. There wouldn't be football, honestly. It would probably be nothing. Think about because that. Because of the concussions and... Right, exactly. You know, all, the, all that kind of stuff, and, and there wouldn't be any football left. They'd be playing it flag football. Right, if uh, at all. And on, on 30 yard fields. Nobody wants to see that. No, it, it looked like, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl, they got like the, the celebrity uh, flag football game <laughs> where half the people look like they're drunk when they're playing it. <laughs> that's what it would look like. But, but that's, that's where we're at. We're, we're essentially, we're going to have government people, government appointees, making our rules for us. Not just regulating us, making the rules. How, how is that going to work out good? It's not, but... But anyways...
Anyways, my I'm a little cranky because my knees and my shoulders hurt because it's rained for like a day straight here. That's right. The sun's coming out tomorrow, like Annie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I I know that somebody there was some talk about uh, Churchill that's racing on Wednesday this week. Supposedly, I'm not really sure what the reasoning is, but what's the deal with that? Now that you know, there's sounds like there's going to be some problems in Louisville with the uh, release of finally the release of whatever the release is going to be, but. so that might be questionable whether that actually, those races take place. Uh, I guess a field for the Preakness is kind of making itself. I saw Jesus's team today is going to waste fifty thousand dollars and supplement to the race. <laughs> I guess he could clunk up and be third. I mean, apparently the the, the trainer Delgado said he goes, listen, we're going to make one run, we're going to come from that, and you know that's. That's what we're. That's what. That's what we're gonna do. So, um, you know, you got the two Baffert horses. You got our collector. Uh, you know, you, you got the Jim Dandy winner. Maybe you got maybe that uh, Doctor Post. Maybe sounds like the the horse of Asmussen's the uh, Humanic, Humanic, Pumanic, whatever his name is. The one the Pegasus. He sounds like he's gonna go. I don't know what McPeak's gonna do, but it. it it lost a lot of luster having a filly in the field when it's not the Oaks winner. <laughs> you know, having the having the Oaks winner run in the Preakness would be a little bit more intriguing than having the Oaks runner-up run in the Preakness. And I did see something today where they were saying, and it might just be nominations for the spinster, but uh, essentially every good filly in the country, uh, older filly and three-year-old, is nominated for the spinster as the Breeders' Cup prep, but... I'm going to guess that we're going to wind up, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I, I would doubt that that field is going to assemble for that. Maybe the Breeders' Cup, but not for that. Yeah, I, 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 have, my, uh, I have my doubts that that's going to actually happen. But, um, I mean, racing right now is, is in a pretty big lull. There's not much going on. Um, yeah, every time you say that, though, some wild Some happens. crazy stuff happens, I know, right? But, uh, I mean, racing-wise, there just isn't a whole lot until the Breeders' Cup uh, weekend, the prep weekend. But, um, and then after that, it'll be kind of quiet. I mean, Keeneland will be racing, um, fanless. I, I, I tell you, I, people have a good case, though, when they say, how, how, can, they, how can they put 13,000, 14,000, 15,000 people in a football stadium and then a racetrack, we can't even have five or six um, it just seems, it, it just seems, counterintuitive. Yeah. It's very counterintuitive when you see it. It's like, well, there's people at the football game. Well, Maybe there's probably less people at the track. My, my friends called me, uh, on Friday night. They, they, they actually were doing a double header at the Meadowlands. They drove from, from New York out by Belmont to the Meadowlands to bet New York or to bet Belmont. <laughs> And uh, stayed for the harness races. So you have to drive from Belmont to the Meadowlands to bet on Belmont if you want to do it in like a track atmosphere. Which seems kind of bizarre that the Meadowlands and Monmouth are allowed to have fans and Belmont and uh, 
well, I guess Aqueduct's not open, but Belmont, you're not. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 just um, it's it's just a little bit. Uh, I I know, like, I mean, you're 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 living it. The deal with the schools is all screwed up, depending on where you live, and it's just. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not sure how to uh, to process a lot of this because common sense seems to be it seems to, it seems to be out the out the out the window at this point in, in a lot of ways. And uh, again, it's, it's it's you know so much government involvement and. They've got it's their messing agenda. a lot of things up. They, it's messing a lot of things up. So, yep. So we we got it. You know the, the upcoming kind of not exciting Preakness. Now I bet you they're wish, they're wishing they'd put the Preakness in between the Belmont and, and the Derby. I ran it in somewhere in August. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Uh, who who I don't know. I mean, then it would have been going up against the Travers. So. There was no, there was no, I mean, listen, obviously we're not going to have a triple crown winner, but it's still hard to win this, this series of races because everything has been so screwed up. The Belmont seems like it was a million years ago. <laughs> it feels like it. It really does. And, and if you think about it, if Authentic wins the Preakness, he's three-year-old of the year, maybe horse of the year. Yeah has to be right and, and it's mean, kind of crazy that uh three weeks ago if you would have said authentic would be you know leading the charge in this horse of the year you'd be like get out of here you know and then my my point is about authentic is all right say he wins the preakness but doesn't do it really impressively like he's barely holding on right like like he did in the in the, in the haskell does he go to the breeders cup classic or does he go to the breeders cup mile it's huh. a good question. Does the Breeders' Cup mile win put him over the top? I mean, I would say probably to the the classic because the the older division isn't that strong. True, but I I, I well I guess I I don't know where McKinsey's going to go either, and Baffert's probably not going to want to probably want to split him up as much as as best he can. But it was really a shame that. Um, that volatile got hurt because the sprint was was looking like a relatively interesting race, um, but I don't know. It's I was actually looking forward to betting against volatile. Well, I was kind of thinking that same thing, and and uh, uh, I know he ran spectacularly well on a super fast track at Churchill, and then came back and he won the Vanderbilt. But it was such a an oddly run race with that ridiculously slow, super slow pace. Early. I mean, just, just just glacial pace for us the graded for for a sprint period, let alone a graded sprint. To me, he had question marks and was going to certainly be overbet. But but now that's something that's gone, and Vacoma is going to have to win the, the Breeders' Cup so George can pay the labor board, which. Which is not fun, but uh, but anyways, 
I hope uh, I hope you do good the rest of the week and you get your school situation sorted out. Yeah. I just need some classes and then I could be a teacher for real. It could be like a second career for you. It could be. What, but what, right what, now, I don't want to do it. What, really what, what subject would you be? Would you? Would you be best at? Oof, I'd probably be best at, at uh, math. You could use. You could my, use like. My kid the, hates math. You could use the, the. You could use the program to try to teach them like, like I swear to God, I I learned more math when when I was figuring out internal fractions of harness races. When I, you know, you say, all right, they went 30 and one this quarter, and this horse was four lengths behind going into the quarter, and he was two lengths behind going out of the quarter, so that's 30 and one minus two fifths, so he went 29. <laughs> I learned, I learned math more that way than I did looking at any books. You, you know what? That's the same for me. Um, Sabria likes, she likes horse racing, so maybe I'll try that. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Anyways, Barry, I appreciate your time as always. Absolutely, my man. And uh, I'll I'll make sure I call you with any chalk fast alerts like I did today. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I, I looked at the results and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> That's gotta be tough to do. <laughs> it, it's uh. I was thinking about like when Gabe makes the selections and stuff for the Red Mile, and when you're when you're making the picks and you you keep coming out with a three to five shot. I mean, at some point you gotta say to yourself, "Man, this is looking awful chalky." But and usually somebody will break or somebody will throw in a clunker. But man, it, it was like they didn't. They were one right after on another, board. one after another. Well, Tall Dark Stranger Sunday, he, he almost got beat at one to nine. But uh, yeah, that that uh, Canadian horse broke in, in mid stretch. Oh up, yeah, and the Maple Leaf trot—that was kind of wild. Yeah, that was really wild. Sixty to one won it. And Ramona Hill just keeps marching along. She's a beast. She's getting better and better. It's pretty pretty good horse, man. She's really really good. Well, you have a good week, and uh, we'll be on tomorrow. Of course, it's almost tomorrow already. But uh, we'll be on tomorrow from 3 to 5. I'm going in circles live. And that's if the studio doesn't wash away. <laughs> but it's Florida, and we don't get snow, so we can't complain too much. Nope. All right, I'm down with that. All right, Barry Spears, thank you. All right, my man. Thanks. You got it. Big Monday. Big Monday. Later. Bye. That was Barry Spears kind enough to spend his Monday nights with us. I will be back tomorrow with um, a couple of guests. We're going to have a couple young trainers on and uh, like we did a couple couple months back. It seemed to be a popular program and kind of introduce you to a couple new guys and let them kind of uh, give their philosophy, get the, the view of, of younger people how they see the world. They see the world a little different than than older people. But um, we'll be back tomorrow with, with that show, and uh, hopefully everybody uh, everybody's doing okay. Thanks for listening. We uh, we do we really do appreciate it, and um, we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you.